0: We say good day and thanks so much for joining us today. We are talking about the adultification of our kids, specifically black and brown boys and girls. Here to help us out, Dr. Carlia East. Dr. East, we should tell you, is a licensed mental health counselor. Among her many accolades, she has a doctorate in general psychology. She also helps run style psychology and Associates. How are we doing today, doctor?
1: I am doing well, Frank. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to get into this topic.
0: Oh, me too. We've talked about this at length before. so Now we're going to officially have a conversation about it. It's on the record now, yes. And we'll jump right into it. What does it mean to adultify a child?
1: So the basic premise of adultification
0: is when you have
1: children based upon their race or culture, they're assumed to be more mature, more capable of handling life, handling situations. And thusly, they're also assumed to be adulting or to be navigating areas in a way that children just aren't able to navigate. What this also adds on to that particularly is we see this happening with our children of color, with our brown and black children is where we see this most happening. Now, what happens also on top of that is that we do have this racial divide that is also a component. Now, the reason why this is a component is because we're seeing these behaviors or this adultification primarily being utilized towards children of color. And so therefore, we know that it's not happening with our Caucasian counterparts where they are more so giving leniency and leeway to be children and act as children and make errors and mistakes. We're not seeing our black or brown children, which adds a level of racism on top of it, because now we're having our children being divided by race and expectations instead of just being children.
0: So it's almost a privilege, if you will, to be a child.
1: Right, right. And, and the sad part is, is that, you know, we often speak in double-tongued language. And what I mean by that is in society, we'll tell our parents, you know, tr- their children, they're not expected to be adults, but then at the same sentence, we'll call them little adults or, you know, little humans or, you know, those types of, um, of terminology. And so we have this kind of bias where in society in general, there is this kind of gray area of what's a child and what isn't a child. But that's not the gray area that we're speaking of. We're not speaking of milestones, developmental milestones, walking, talking, those types of things. What we're speaking of specifically is that if a brown or black child makes a mistake in school, let's say grade school, elementary school and makes an error, he or she is going to be punished three to five times more harsh and more severe than our Caucasian counterparts, because the expectation is you should already know how to handle that. The question is, if I'm a child at age six or seven, why should I know something because I'm black or brown versus the child who's Caucasian that, that is not expected to know these things? And so here we have that differential. Let's say I'll give you a, another example. You have two children that are sitting in class. Both of them are supposed to be sitting still. You have one child of color that may be moving around, maybe a little bit agitated. The non, um, the the Caucasian child is also agitated, but what will happen is the child of color will be expected to be still and to know better, right? And versus the child that is white would be considered to be a child and it's, oh, they make mistakes, let's redirect. And so there's this automatic um, jump to punishment, automatic jump to ridicule and criticize versus let's help let's turn this into a teachable moment let's allow the child to to present to us what they are capable and not capable of doing those are the things we see in our counterparts
0: I feel like you were somehow a fly on the wall in a conversation I had with my son's then preschool teacher when he was only three years old that what you're describing is exactly what has had happened to him I sat in on the mm-hmm. classes and I had to have uh uh A frank conversation, if you will, about some of those issues. And we see this, as I just mentioned, is perpetuated by teachers, law enforcement, and even parents, right?
1: Right. You know, no one is um, immune from the guilt of or finding themselves in a guilty capacity and this feeding into this ignorance is really what it is, into this rhetoric that children of color are, are, you know, automatically supposed to be expected and that we are harsher with them you know with going inside of the school system as i do often um i help teachers to understand how to navigate their classrooms particularly when dealing with you know hyperactivity, adhd those types of things that you know lack of focus that you know children have in general right That along it being something that's diagnostic well and walking into one of the classrooms i noticed there was a desk in the corner and a, a young girl of color was sitting in that oh. desk and i i asked her and i said you know, uh, I asked the teacher, I said, why is the student sitting here? And she said, oh, she's hyperactive. And so this is the desk that she sits in to help her calm down. That's I said, heartbreaking. Okay. And I, my question was, not that there was a desk for calm. I didn't have an issue about a desk for calm. I think a desk, an area for calm is great. Who else sits in this desk, though, was my question. And there was no one else sitting in, a, in the calm area but this student. Now that is direct, both ignorant, racial, and I can't even describe the level of prejudice and bias that was taken um, at that situation. But that's the problem. Do we not have white kids that get hyper, right? Do they not need a quiet desk to go sit in? And so here we have something that can be used as a great space for all children to go and gather their thoughts and be calm, but yet it's being used as a negative consequence for this child of color, and that
0: is a huge problem. That is essentially the back door through which the child must enter the classroom, which mirrors, uh, I don't know, a time before that some might say hasn't gone anywhere, right? I was just about to ask you, Is this a form of discrimination? And without doubt, you're saying yes, it is.
1: It definitely is a form of discrimination. I mean, let's be clear. Anytime you take any human being and separate them from the masses because they are different, that is a form of discrimination. So that's exactly what is happening to our children. Um, The other piece of it is, is that we know on a legality system, the punitive system is much harsher for our children of color specifically when it comes down to laying down sentences. Now, I'm sure this is a whole nother episode and we can go on and on about the, the racial divide in oh, our we will. system, but, but it carries it carries over to that extensively. And yes, parents are guilty of it, particularly on both sides, let me be clear. Because as a woman of color, I have a son of color. And yes, there are expectations that I have for him, but there are also lessons that I am forced to teach him because he is a child of color. That does not mean he is more mature than any other six-year-old child to handle School incidences to handle playground, you know what I mean, bullying. He's that same kid as any other kid. He puts his shoes on just like every other kid, except I have to teach him, and and um, we have to teach him more lessons about race. That doesn't make him a mature six-year-old. That makes him a six-year-old that has to carry a bit more weight than his Caucasian counterparts. And if anything, there should be an opportunity of understanding that weight instead of um, criminalizing that
0: weight that our children of color have. I was going to ask you that. I was going to ask you, by default, are we not adultifying our own children by telling them, hey, uh, you must behave this way. Even though it may not be in their nature at that particular age, they may not have the capacity to do some of the things that we, need them to do to protect them from the outside world right
1: i think that when you look at other cultures outside the united states they teach their children to be potty trained within a year and a half okay whereas we are two and a half to three years right before our children are potty trained that doesn't mean that that child is more mature to face the world and go out and you know bring food for their colony what it does is it frees up that that parent Um, So that that child can be more independent, but the maturation of the brain is still the same. So when we're looking at our children, yes, there are expectations that we should have for all children to sit still, you know, not to be disrespectful, not to bully, not to call names, and ultimately to love others as you would love yourself, right? These are the basic moral lessons that we should be teaching our children. However, As a parent raising a child of color, I do have to teach him lessons of racism. If my child was um, a part of the LGBTQ community, I would probably have to have lessons with him about how to navigate the biases of people treating him differently because he may be gay. These are all additional conversations that I have to have with my child to prepare his unique personality, his unique presence for the world. However, that does not mean that other adults officials, school personnel, or even myself should have expectations for perfection or have expectations for adult behaviors or for him to navigate things that are clearly being placed upon him just because of the color of his skin. Now that is not fair.
0: I've seen this up close and personal. Uh, As an elementary school student, I recall seeing little girls in my grade, fourth grade, having to miss school Because this was an economical problem for them. It was mom had to work, uh, dad was at work and they had younger siblings and they could not come to school because they had to watch their younger siblings, Mm -hmm. nine, 10 year old kids. And, and, And that too, would you not say is adultifying the child?
1: I think that that is adultifying the child but it's some of those circumstances that are hard that's when the community really has adultified and maybe failed that family when you think about it because that's why we need services in place and who's to say that this parent has not reached out i know plenty of parents that are living with those same situations that are waiting for that 30-day window right for services to arrive that are waiting for that opportunity um, so that daycare and benefits are re-upped so that they can apply for coordinated child care. You know, this is a whole system. And so I hate to just put that label on that parent in that particular situation, because these are areas that are a bit more out of their control and more having to do with being able to eat, being able to sleep, being able to afford, and also um, being able to get the child from a to z and all families should have that privilege but not all families have that right
0: certainly certainly and no doubt uh, that classmate had to grow up earlier than she should have because of those unfortunate circumstances um listening how important is that because that is also part of the problem we find friends peers simply saying i'm good no i'm cool it's all right because they've more or less decided that it's easier to say that than to try and explain how they feel simply because nobody will listen to their response anyway. They describe the problem, yet no one listens to them.
1: I think the difficult part about that is when you grow up as a child who has been adultified your entire life, you do kind of learn how to be silent and just make it through. Just make it pass. Let me just pass so that i can make it through because you don't feel like you're being heard or it's the fear of you know pandora's box being opened once you really are heard and then there having to be some major changes and some accountability and responsibility and unfortunately you know a lot of these children understand their parents struggles and challenges and don't want to be the ones to you know notify and sound the alarm because of that feeling and so they grow up being very silent and keeping things within and then we, they grow up being adults of color who have these same type of feelings. And so the only way to really reach out beyond that is to utilize your resources and continue to fight against that, that, that negativity that you faced I'm sure multiple times that have said no and instead focus on the times that have said yes, focus on the positives, focus on that one guidance counselor, that one school teacher that had your back when no one else did. You know, I remember being in school and I remember that one teacher who would make extra peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for some of the kids in the classroom and she would chop them up in small pieces and say hey anybody that wants some come and get it but she always made sure that those four to five students who didn't have it always had first dibs right as a bonus or something of that nature it wasn't calling them now it wasn't them feeling embarrassed about their situation it was us as the leaders in front of our children the ones that they look up to when they're not in front of their parents providing a way when the child is unable to provide the way because they are in fact a child. And I think it takes a lot of that. A lot of us looking outside of our box, looking within and recognizing that the reason that child may be having a difficult time in class, they may have a difficult time with authority. They may be falling asleep. It's not because they're ignoring you. They don't find value in you. It's not because they're meaning to be disrespectful. It's because they've been put in adult situations and had to do adult things in order to survive. And that's the piece that we're continuously missing, not only in our education system, but in our system as a culture.
0: One of your first lequ- lessons in equity there, right? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> how, how do we call out, uh, my final question for you this year, doctor, how do we call out adults who are perpetuating this problem? They may be friends, they may be family members, they may not right. realize what they're doing, but we can't excuse their ignorance. How do we call them out? I think the best
1: way to do it is honestly to say, hey, that's a kid, you know, like, do you think that this they're capable of doing that? Think about how many thoughts they have running in their heads. This is the deal. When we grow up and become adults, it's almost like we miss out on the whole Peter Pan, right? I'll never grow up again. I'll always stay a child. We totally lock Peter Pan in the closet and never let him out. And the truth of it is, is that our children are steadily going through that. They are creative. They are Um, energetic, they do have ideas, they do have fantasy and we can't stifle that. We can't kill that dream, kill that motivation by saying, hey, you have to walk this way, talk this way. What we have to do is give them a baseline of respect, a baseline of courteousness and of love and understanding that they're going to falter at moments. They're going to make mistakes because their minds are still growing but then also give them that opportunity to make those mistakes and then teach them better choices. That's what we have to do. It's one thing to tell our kids to lecture to our children how we want them to behave. Why don't we demonstrate those behaviors, number one? And secondly, why don't we give our children options? When I'm talking to my son about appropriate ways to handle things, right? Instead of him saying to me, I remember he said the other day, mom, I think that sucks. And I was like, okay, we don't want you to use the word suck, even though mom does. I know you got it from me. Let me just own it, right? So as a parent, the first thing I have to do instead of just ridiculing him saying, shame on you for saying the word suck. I can't believe you said that. That's not appropriate. What instead I said, hey, first of all, that's not a word that you use as a little boy. That's a grown-up word. So mommy uses the word, not you. And what you can say is, mom, I think that's silly or I think that's funky, or I think that's weird, mom, I don't like that. So we pick other words that he can use that are appropriate that allow him to express himself. So again, sometimes we have to provide our children with the language that's appropriate for them to use. And when we're calling out parents and adults, reminding them of when they were a child, first of all, but then reminding them also that our children are dealing with a heck of a lot more than we dealt with and when we were children And to allow our adults and our parents to see that so that they can allow for a little bit more flexibility. You know, I tell folks, I said, you know, raising a child is like a rubber band. You hold to the other end, you tie the other end around their waist, and you allow them to stretch. But then there's always a connection so you can pull them back. And that's what we have to start doing is remembering that connection so that we can pull them back, pull ourselves forward, and have um, proper and appropriate age related expectations.
0: No doubt. You know what I must say, I love your son's description. Sometimes it just hits the the point head on with his description of the way things are. Thank you so much. Right. And I can't let you leave without saying, you are rocking that puff. We love every bit of it.
1: Thank you. I rocks rough and stuff with my Afro Puffs.
0: Oh, here you go. (laughs) And thank you all so much for listening to us. Until next time, you have a good one.
1: Thank you. Bye-bye. we